Hey, Fen. Hey, Uther. How's How you it? doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty tough. You mm. know I come on here on Shite and Sound. Um, it's, it, it's an advice podcast. My name is Uther Shite. And I am Thin Sound Nicholas. And, and every week I ask you for advice for the problems mm. I'm facing. And I have just, I've started, my workplace recently has started to get increasingly hostile and I don't know how to deal with it. Oh, well, what's, 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 what's been happening? Well, it seems that every, every time I go in, I, the people I'm asked to work with are just needlessly aggressive. It has gotten to the point recently where, where different groups of people will, will have to separate us. But even then it's like, they want us to, to continue the, the, the confrontation. So I don't I don't know what it seems in many ways to me like for for a lot of my coworkers that the the bullying is the reason we're all there I'm just there to be you know a victim mm. and like when I when I strike back when I hold my own people will be like yeah great go woo and that that feels good but they're just encouraging me yeah what what should I do <sighs> When you say you hit back, what do you mean by that? It's so gross. I don't want to say it. And you know I'm not a, a violent no, of course. person. And I would only, I, I fight to defend mm. myself and for my right to party. Yes. Those are the two things I fight for. There are, I, of course, on the other hand, prefer to party for my right to fight. <laughs> The public enemy song. No, party for my right to fight or the Republican Party. <laughs> um, and so, okay, sometimes it'll be normal. Mm. I'll go in, they'll weigh me, and they'll make me hold hands with another man. Right. A little bit. Uh, but then sometimes I go in and, and the other guy is there shirtless, which is... It's like, I don't want to say what people should wear, but like maybe wear a shirt at work. Exactly. There are all these lights on us and he unprovoked. Mm. I've not, I've just walked in in my gown and he, he'll punch me and like, he'll keep going. And there's this guy in a, in a striped suit, zebra print, who is like, fight back, Uther, come on, you can do this. And so, and like, if he doesn't keep going, like, my face is getting all fucked up, yeah, all no, bloody. Like, from what I've heard, getting punched in the face can be uh, bad for you. I yeah, like, yeah. I, I I can't see out of one of my eyes. My nose uh, is is like more it's... fucked up than Stephen Fry's. <laughs> all right, because of the cocaine. No, no, he's just got a slightly like weird nose. Oh, all right. Uh, uh. No, it's like someone has has wrapped a bunch of like pancakes around it. I keep, I keep. You know how like when you're around glitter, and you like the next couple of months, like you're just finding glitter everywhere. Yeah, unlike that, but with my own teeth, and it just seems. And I try. I'm trying to be like, please, please don't hit me. This this hurts. Mm. But there are loads of people there, and they're all they're all cheering. And I, I just don't, how do I de-escalate the situation? So one way to de-escalate a violent situation is to <laughs> escalate it further than the other person's willing to go. <laughs> like, okay, give me, give me an example. So like, 
So, you know, when, 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 when someone's trying to show you that they're crazy, you show them, no, I'm born who's crazy. So next time this man unprovoked tries to start punching you, why don't you, uh, like, bite part of his ear off? I, uh, I just don't know. What would my tiger say about it? <laughs> is what I have to say to that. And like, yeah, I will admit that I've started, I've started punching back. Mm. But sometimes, like when you're GSTP, right? When you when you're in a violent situation and you need to escape, focus on the genitals, grab, squeeze, twist, pull, GSTP. Mm. And and when I try and do that, they start going like, no, none, nothing below the belt. Mm. And I. I I just feel insane. I don't you know. know. It's, it seems like it seems like they're gaslighting you. And so I, and so I think that if I bit off someone's ear, like I could, I, it could end up in a really dark place. The Hangover Part Two, for instance. <laughs> and so I was wondering. I've brought. You've got many skills, Finn. Hmm. Uh, uh, I've asked for your opinion in terms of, uh, you know, your work. When when I ate that really hot chili, mm. I talked to you because you used to be a fireman. <laughs> uh, and, and when uh, that, <laughs> when I painted my house wrong, you used to be an arsonist, so you mm. helped me burn it down. <laughs> <laughs> and and now you, you know, you're a martial artist. Yeah, you. You paint wedding paintings. The marital artist. <laughs> You're yeah, right. There, there was a slight misprint <laughs> on my business card. Uh, no, I agree. You're right. That joke is funnier written down. <laughs> uh, and, and I know from my experience of weddings, you've ex- you've seen a lot of brawls. Mm. Um, seen some scuffles. <laughs> and what? See, seen a seen a conflagration or two. <laughs> what is? And you better believe. But I've seen some <laughs> kerfuffles. Have you? Uh, what about a ray? A oh, fray? A fray? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen some fray, <laughs> and with better fray, I've seen battery. Uh, mayhem? May? Oh, you better believe I've seen the movie Mayhem starring Samara Weaving and Stephen Yun. At some point, I was looking at the laws of this country invalid as they are uh, enforcing colonized laws onto indigenous land and i remember that there is like one of the th- like mayhem is illegal in yeah. new zealand you can be arrested for mayhem <laughs> and it's like like is that specific was that a law specifically invented to to stop the cat in the hat uh, <laughs> like I'm, I'm sure it's really passed to, to, to stop the middle band mayhem. Uh, so my question to you as a, as a marital artist is uh, how do I hit, punch someone so hard that they die? I am, I'm wearing padded gloves. Okay. Um, I was just doing what uh, my uh, good friend and mentor Mo Sizzlack did, which was uh, a, a, t- a tied barbed wire around your, around your boxing gloves. How do you know the boxing gloves? Uh, I, fuck. I don't, <laughs> fuck. I didn't, I didn't. I never said that they were. I never said they were boxing gloves. Got him. <laughs> yep. What? <Sure. laughs> and scene. <laughs> no, Running okay. across the stage with my arm up. <laughs> hey. 
a long story short, I think you might have guessed it, but I have accidentally become <laughs> a boxer. Are there, what what should I look to 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 learn how to deal in this situation? Especially, I'm I'm getting quite popular. Mm. So I think uh, you you should watch the movies Raging Bull and Rocky Five with me, and then uh, we can see if there's any good advice in those two movies. Then yes, do you know something really fucked up? What we we watched them earlier. Uh, we watched both of those. Uh, oh, that that it's it's all the head trauma. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Now the theme is playing. <laughs> boop, 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 boop. Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we watched number 55 on the Sight and Sound list, Raging Bull, Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro's biopic of real-life boxer and scumbag Jake LaMotta. Our second film this week is Rocky V, a film starring real-life boxer and scumbag Tommy Morrison. I should clarify, I said that Tommy Morrison was also a real-life scumbag. From looking up his Wikipedia, he's not nearly as bad as Jake LaMotta was, <laughs> from what it seems. But yeah, it, but that is... But Jake LaMotta was a real bad dude. <laughs> it is, in a very strange and kind of interesting way, IMO. Like, the biggest problem with Raging Bull, which is a very, very good film, mm. is jake lamotta right <laughs> like is that this is no matter how obviously like jake lamotta saw this film adapted from his mm. life and, and said to his ex-wife was i that bad and she said you were worse so it is not like it's not a puff piece on him yeah by by any by any means at all like obviously there there's the fact that it's a film about a man from the past so like 50 to 80 percent of men are gonna see it and be like oh yeah that what man is oh oh it do the punch but okay because at the end he cry but he hurt the people and he fixed now so i know that when i do the bad the bad thing i know later that when i go prison i cry and then make it okay because i'm man right even though like martin scorsese has spent 50 years at this point making films about the horrors of, of american masculinity that's never been his perspective on it he's always had a much more complex take than, oh, than, than that oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. That, i know you're not saying scorsese's doing that yeah. and it is no i am i this is a call out post man scorsese why do you hate roller coaster films when you're purely making roller coaster films but about testosterone and the mafia, you know, Robert De Niro is your Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, uh, After Hours is your uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and 
uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Is your Black Widow? Because that's the one for woman in it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and did you did you oh did you see the the incredible headline from IndieWire? I did. Is it not only does that film break past the Bechdel test that forces the men in the audience to squirm? Well, I I I I I believe that headline actually uses the word squeam, which is uh, not a word. I just I don't like living in the world right mm. like i am really struggling to exist in uh reality you now know? like this isn't me and you for being against uh movies that uh, pass a bechdel test and make me uncomfortable we both love movies that yeah, make me yeah, uncomfortable yeah yeah but absolutely but like, that one a, will not yeah end. saying that about a marvel movie is uh an insult to the uh very long and complicated history of radical feminist cinema. And just as you saw, I retweeted that article with the the statement, you don't have to do this. And it is like, you just, you genuinely like, we could, guys, we could just not, you know? Like, we absolutely, like, we don't need to, it just genuinely troubles me, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, but no, but like the biggest problem with Raging Bull is the like, kind of, is it moral at all to make a film about a man this terrible? Do you know what I mean? And even though, like at no point, like, and like my interesting relationship with this film is kind of best encapsulated by the fact that uh, Paul Schrader uh, came on to write it. He did the second pass, I believe. Yeah. So it, it was originally written by Scorsese and De Niro together when they were on an no, island. No, they did the last pass. Oh, okay, okay. So it was ri- it was uh, some guy, the other credited writer, adapted yeah. the book. Uh, De Niro read the book, found that script, took it to Scorsese. Scorsese gave it to Schrader. Oh, okay. Um, and, and then De Niro and... And Scorsese went to an island together and... And, and did a final yeah. pass that, depending on who you talk to, was tweaking a couple of lines and scenes or a page one rewrite. Uh, right. Um, it, it's, it's one of those things. Yeah. But um, uh, Schrader, uh, a flawless man... <laughs> yeah. ...who's never said or done anything Who, wrong. Who's only ever made good movies and good decisions. <laughs> um, he... Because uh, uh, the film ends with a quote that the you know it's Bible quote about mm. the the broken man who's seen the light yeah uh, and the way it is positioned it seems to suggest that Jake Lamotta is may see the light and uh, Scorsese says it is there as a tribute to his film school professor um. And Schrader says it shouldn't be there at all because it implies a redemption mm. for this man. Yeah. And I, and like, that is my conflict with this film because obviously this film is never on his side. Yeah. Uh, it, he is at best pathetic and it, like, he's the, he's the villain protagonist mm. of this film. Um, it, it, it is a film in short about a man's sexual jealousy and unchecked rage being commodified uh, into ceaseless violence yeah. that that ruins his life and everyone around him. Um, but the, yeah, that it ends with him in this it's, low... It's like it's like a Sion Sono film. <laughs> yeah, but it, that it ends in a place of him 
maybe finding some grace of hitting rock bottom and then maybe finding some success. Now he's doing this comedy thing. I, I just, yeah. Oh, I, in both scenes, like after he's gotten out of jail and he's had his big, like emotional kind of breakdown crying scene, mm. the stuff where he's doing his fucking comedy felt like even lower than rock bottom. But the, like over the course of the film, you see him like destroy all of his relationships, drive away everyone who's, who's ever cared about him. Yeah. Ruin his body by allowing himself to be uh, uh, punched a lot for years. He's lost all his money, and now the thing that he wants more than anything else is respect and be like adoration of a crowd. And the like best he can get is some like kind of engaged hecklers in a shitty dive bar. But but in the very final scene, uh, the scene ends with him shadow boxing, where he's where, and he does on the waterfront into the mirror. Yeah, at that gig, he is um he's told that it's sold out. Uh, okay. Right, that like it is, it it like it like it's very specifically kind of that. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, uh and it, I, and again, I don't think I think that is supposed to be a complex and, and odd moment. Yeah, uh, in a complex and odd film, but is it? Yeah, is it? Should you make this film at all? I guess is the question, and. Because the film itself is good, and we should we I, I feel yeah. like I've done the final conversation first. I apologize, <laughs> but like because this film is on a craft and performance level like immaculate. Mm. James Gandolfini is Tony Soprano, and Robert De Niro is Jake LaMotta are like the two polar stars of the broken evil man, mm. at least in uh, uh, America and America centric media. And for good reason, these these painful, muscle bound monsters who who cannot and refuse to learn, and this glorious black and white at points semi seemingly improvised and at points like balletically choreographed film where every image is astounding, every accent and actor is perfect, not a hair is out of place yeah. on this thing. Uh, every scene seems monumental and important doing that like even to judge jake lamotta seems like giving him more of a pedestal than he deserves you know yeah i mean like that, 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 that's also like a lot of people's problem with with like the wolf of wall street oh, I, or, or goodfellas I, and i think it is and i think it is equal criticisms on mm. both of those things um, and those are two other films I also really like and enjoy. Yeah, and like I think the 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 thing that makes them possibly even more com- complex in that is that they Goodfellas a bit and Wolf of Wall Street a lot asks you in, to enjoy their character more. They're more you. It's more fun spending time with them. Yeah. Where it is like this is a boxing film that's two hours and ten uh, under ten minutes of it is boxing and it is some of the most brutal violence ever like it's not fun it is these animalistic displays of testosterone meat and murder you know yeah and in most of the fights there'll be these moments where it'll punctuate the violence with someone's eyebrows splitting open and blood spraying everywhere yeah captured in slow motion in this incredible black and white cinematography by michael chapman Mm. And it's not a fun romp in the same way the Goodfellas and Wolf of Wall Street are. Well, like to me, the greatest success of of, of Raging Bull 
is the fact that it would be so easy for this film to be a relentless, escalating, ever-thickening slurry of sadness, hatred, and violence. Um, where you meet this man and you go like, oh, he sucks. And then the rest of the film is being like, oh, yeah, he sucks. Oh, he sucks. Um, and- but, but like, it would also be very easy to do this film in a way that's just like, oh, no, he... You know, he's a he's a guy who started from the bottom and he worked his way up and, yeah. you know, he's got some issues, but he's making the best of it. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. And it, that, that it is neither of those things and yet it is still like, th- like you still always want to know what happens mm. in the next scene. You want to see how it builds. You want to see how it asks you questions, the things it leaves, it leaves for you to guess for yourself or assume, like how much... It draws you in without ever doing the easy thing, which is like having him pet a dog or making the fight scenes cool Hmm. Um, is I think it's great triumph. And that I think in, you know, 99 out of a hundred directors with the script and this performance would make a film where half an hour and you'd be like, Oh no, I get it. Hmm. I get it. Cool. Yeah. And then you'd check out. But with this, you're like, Oh, how deep do we go and why do I still want to go? It's yeah, it's a good film, in my opinion. <laughs> so with Scorsese and De Niro, which of their films to give it as your favorite? I think probably I like I find like Goodfellas was the first I saw. Mm. Uh, and so I have like there's a nostalgic love for it in me. Yeah. And but but the more distance I have on it, the more it does feel like weightlifters flexing. Like there's so much craft and there's so many moves in it. Casino, I like. I remember being like, "Oh, this is the harsher, harder stuff." Mm. I remember enjoying that. And like, I think Taxi Driver's biggest problems are not Taxi Driver. It is kind of everything around it, and, and what Taxi Driver has become as a set of ideas. And, and as a misinterpreted set of ideas, and I don't think the film, and especially the script, does enough um, to to combat that. And it is, it's like I like the problem in that film is that that Sybil Shepherd is hot, is like because she is, mm. and so like a part of you, and like and and Scorsese knows that and shoots her that way, yeah. so it feels kind of complicit in a way that this. I th- Raging Bull is my answer. Is right. what I'm getting to that, and I haven't seen Mean Streets in enough time. And what it, that it? Uh, I mean, there's also Cape Fear. There's, uh, there's, like, there's, there's, there's the Irishman. Uh, for, yeah, no, like the Irishman is is like the Irishman is uh, Interpol's sixth album to me. Right. Where I'm like, this has some of the best stuff, but these guys are too old, and I, I you know, like yeah. you know, but it's not like like I'm happy they're doing yeah. It. I, like there, there's a lot I like in the Irishman, but it is, it is the kind of thing you only make secure in the knowledge that you've made your master's pieces, and like, mm. and like, and that's not that's not me saying they deliberately made a bad film, and oh, I don't know, like, oh, I like all the same stuff Cape Fear likes, mm. like, like Cape Fear, no, mainly Night of the Hunter, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> um, but shit, like Cape Fear, uh, yeah, uh, no, 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 it is, it is Raging Bull, because right. I feel like, I think Raging Bull is possibly Scorsese's best, and I think it is almost certainly De Niro's best. Right. Yeah. Unlike, like King of Comedy, maybe. Yeah. 
I think of the movies they've done together, my favorite overall is The Irishman. But I, I think my favorite De Niro performance in one of his movies is is, is King of Comedy. That that is. <laughs> That is such an unpleasant performance. Yeah. And he exactly rides the line between being kind of funny, but also incredibly unfunny. And there's like a little bit of, with most of the movies that, that Scorsese and De Niro did together after Taxi Driver, you can be like, okay, well, he's kind of doing what if Travis Bickle was a. Yeah. And like in, in King of Comedy, it's what if Travis Bickle was a comedian. In New York, New York, it's what if Travis Bickle was in a musical. <laughs> in, in, in Cape Fear, it's what if Travis Bickle uh, was, your, was your annoying neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this is what if Travis Bickle was a boxer. Yeah. And... But that, no, I don't like... I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it's definitely it's more complicated than that. Yeah, yeah. But, well, because Travis Bickle is so clearly someone who has, is broken on a genetic level. Mm. There is something uh, absolutely wrong with him. Yeah. Uh, he is a distorted lens. Whereas, like, the thing about the thing I find most horrifying about De Niro's Jake LaMotta is that as you see all the points of his life, as you see his relationship with his brother and like the what their childhood implicitly was, and then how he works and the world he is in, you're like, no, he is the logical sum of these things. Yeah. If I went through these experiences, this is the horrific man I would end up as. Um, and that to me is more interesting. Mm. And I think De Niro plays that better. It makes me worry about De Niro that he read the book this is based on, and especially considering... Do you know who's not in the book? Uh, uh, Joseph Pesci. Yeah, no, the brother. Right. The brother does not appear in the book at all. It was Schrader's contribution. Okay. Schrader was, was brought on board. He went and did research and then found out that he had a brother and had an acrimonious relationship with his right. brother and that they, that they don't speak anymore. And he was like, oh, that's the film. Yeah, I, so, I, I, I sort of don't know what the film would be before before Shredder, like comes in and does that. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, I I think it would just be a very very different. Yeah. You know, we just, it's it's it, it would be something. It just wouldn't be would be this. When did you first see Raging Bull? Uh, yesterday. Is that your first time? Yeah. Ah, yeah, it was the first time I've ever seen Raging Bull. What is it like seeing because Ra- Raging Bull is another film that is at this point a list of references. Yeah, like there are so many bits of it where you're like, "Oh, that's what that Simpsons scene is a joke <laughs> about. This is what that Seinfeld scene was parody." Yeah, yeah, I'd seen the opening five minutes on Sky Movies once, but I, I never finished it. And last year, especially, I spent a lot of time like trying to fill in holes in in, in my Scorsese knowledge. But I, I specifically put this one off because I knew I'd be watching it for, for, the, for the podcast. There are still some major ones that I haven't got around to yet. No, I couldn't. That's another one that I started and have never finished. Because I started watching it on Mubi on the night that it was leaving Mubi. And I got halfway through it. And then I paused it to, like, to going into a glass of water. When I came back, my phone that I was streaming it from had reloaded the page. And so I, I've just never seen the last 50 minutes of Kundun. I think if I saw that, I would take Wolf of Wall Street spot as being my least favorite Scorsese film. It's just not his story to tell. We'll probably never cover Kundun on the show. Unless uh, we do it with, like, Taxi Driver. But... No. We, well, well, oh, no last we'll Temptation of Christ. My major problem with Kundun is that maybe this is something that gets addressed in the second half, but something that Scorsese is, I think, so good at doing is he shows 
an incredible amount of skepticism towards American institutions. Yeah. As much love and respect as he has for Catholicism and as fascinated as he is by, by, by the mafia or like the police, he understands the horrors and the corruptions of those institutions. Yeah. And he understands both why they are alluring and also why they are like poisonous. And in Kundun, there is no trace of that skepticism. There is a scene where this child is told that he is the reincarnation of this religious leader. Now he's going to be in charge of a country and he's taken in front of this massive group of people, and this massive group starts, like, bowing down to this, like, five-year-old kid. And it is shot with such reverence. There is no hint for, like, no, this is fucked. This is, like, a real weird thing to do. I just do not vibe with that aspect of Kundun. <laughs> then, let me tell you why you're mistaken on that point. Okay. Because what is, what is effective to me about Scorsese's engagement with machismo a lot of the time and like specifically with the mafia mm. is that he is always presenting this image of them as they would like to see themselves. Yeah. This, the Godfather, cool, slick, a in control, powerful. And then he says, this is what it is. This is what it really, which is like the, the major image of them, this controlled, organized, slick thing. And then he shows you the opposite. Yeah. of it which is the these are all just roided up shitheads who hate themselves and everyone else yeah the, 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 these these guys are all like cokehead murderers who pretend to have all these beliefs about family and respect but will fucking kill each other for no reason of a drop of a hat and, and i think there is so much around especially in regards to china's relationship with hmm. with tibet so much about, you know, the Lama specifically. And this is not me being like, actually, I believe in the, yeah, the yeah. Punchin and the Dalai Lama. Uh, uh, I, uh, I believe people have, uh, people are allowed to, th to tell, we've had this conversation so for many now. times. <laughs> they're allowed for now. No, but that's not <laughs> like, it is constantly in doubt. Like, the 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 Dalai Lama floats through the world essentially as a giant question mark. The the head of a people who uh whose very existence is questioned, and, and so he looks at that and like even in 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 and because it is because it is the Oriental East, the mm. exotic erotic other, uh, it, all even sincere engagements. Uh, with it, I like check out this funny, weird stuff. Mm. Uh, and so I think him doing the opposite and going like, "What if we take this? What is this on its own terms? What is this within itself? Is is a legitimate thing to do? There, there are enough people questioning at every level that um, uh, Scorsese doesn't need to do it, but also like there is. Like Scorsese uh, um, has a, has a has a uh, testy relationship with Catholicism, but like religion and the idea of higher power and higher judgment is not really that contested in his work. Like yeah. often, like especially Taxi Driver, into a lesser extent, Raging Bull, there is a god, and the god is the camera casting judgment on people. You don't buy it? Yeah, maybe. Anyway, that's why I think you're wrong, That thinking that Kundan should, should question that shit. I don't know, I just thought that was an interesting thing yeah. to say. 
but we're all going to die. <laughs> Today is the day that ExxonMobil ocean fuel thing cracked, and now the sea is on fire. Yep. Like we're in the final level of like a Metal Gear Solid game. Like, Jesus, fuck. <laughs> anyway, do you think Vicky slept with his brother? No. Yeah, no. Nah, she obviously didn't, yeah. right? Yeah, she's just fucking with him. But it is very interesting because like almost, I think beyond the fight scenes, the most iconic moment of this film is, did you fuck my wife? Yeah. It starts with them. They're, they're tuning a television and it, and it, and it ends with him <laughs> yelling, did you fuck my wife and punching Joe Pesci? Um, well, I mean, it, it, like that, 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 that scene ends after he's done punching Joe Pesci and he punches his wife in the face. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's horrific. Yeah, well, um, yeah. So we probably don't need to go through the whole no. plot of Raging Bull, but there's Jake, played by Robert De Niro. There's his brother, yeah. his brother Joey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. he's played by Joe Pesci, yeah. who was uh, at this point an unknown. Almost everyone in this film was up until this point were non-professionals or unknowns, with the exception of old Bobby De Niro, mm. Bo De Niro. Yeah, but this is Bobby coming off the back of New York, New York. And and Scorchese. Yeah. And that's what, like, Scorsese, when making this film, was like, I spent so much time on this film because I'm sure it would be my last one because New York, New York had failed so much. He was like, I'll just retire, go to Europe yeah, it, and make it, small it was, films. It, it was a massive bomb that spawned uh, one of the most popular and beloved songs of all time. I mean, that was a cover, though, right? No, no, it was written for that movie. Really? Yes. The first time anyone had ever heard the song New York, New York is when Liza Minnelli sings it in the climax of New York, New York. That, and it, it, it wasn't until like three or four years later that it was covered by Sinatra and then it became like a massive thing. It was written for Liza Minnelli in New York, New York. Have you seen New York, New York? Like n- not in 15 years. Right, yeah. That scene at the end where she finally fucking sings it yeah, is yeah. incredible. And you're like, yeah, no, of course the song was, of course the song was massive. But that, and like part of that is that Liza Minnelli is a proper showbiz superstar. Yeah, yeah. Nothing but, oh, like, Liza. And it is, oh man, sorry, I'm just, isn't it fact that all the good camp icons are, are also just the best performers ever? <laughs> But because they they are not they don't exist within a rigorous structure uh, of of a male gaze or rape culture, or if they do, they do it in a wrong way, and so the world rejects them. You know, like we would just be in a happier place if we all just agreed that, like, Barbara Streisand can fucking sing. You know, other people who don't think that. I mean, deaf. I don't know why I chose her. <laughs> yeah, but like. I mean, she's one who seems to have gone the best for. I'd say she, at this point, RuPaul. How many movies has RuPaul directed? The Did You Fuck My Wife right, scene right, yeah, yeah. being so iconic. As I said to you, do you think people in America really interrogate what it means that their iconic film scenes are like, did you fuck my wife or a crazy man pointing a gun at himself yeah. in the mirror? Yeah. People just love to quote Robert De Niro <laughs> doing the most deranged shit. Um, <laughs> and... and and like the thing about that. Oh, sorry, uh, did, did you see that video where all the candidates for for mayor of New York were talking about their favorite New York movies? No. <sighs> is it as good as Trump talking about why Citizen Kane is his oh, that, favorite that, film? That's also good, but <laughs> and and, and it, it's 
you know, it, it's 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 a video. It's cutting it's cutting between between all, all the candidates for for New York mayor, and there's like one or two people who have good answers. Like like someone says uh, someone says do the right thing, and you're like, yeah, yeah. sure. But then one of the people says Moonlight, which uh, that movie is very clearly all taking place in Georgia. <laughs> but there is one guy who I think is a guy who might end up winning the New York mayoralty. He says, uh, uh, my, my favorite New York movie, uh, gotta be, uh, uh gotta be, uh, Taxi, uh, Taxi with, uh, Robert De Niro, Taxi, uh, you, are you talking to me? Taxi, everyone loves it. I mean, you just hear off screen someone going, Taxi Driver, he's like, Taxi, yeah, ta- Taxi Driver, yeah, great, great movie. <laughs> it's, it's so good. But, yeah, d- did you fuck my wife? Uh, is that, like, in that scene becoming so iconic, it, all its nuance is lost. And the nuance mm. is that, like, obviously within that scene, like the arc of the film up until that point is basically Jake as he gets his head punched more and more and is more more and more poisoned by toxic masculinity. This is a character who, where like the earliest point on the timeline we meet him, it's him trying to pick up a 15-year-old while he's already married, you know? Um uh, it has become more and more obsessed uh well, with- and and like and like flipping over a table because because his like wife overcooked his steak yeah he's uh, um it has become obsessed with the idea that that his wife is cheating on him with his brother mm. through a series of events we see from from his perspective uh which is that they sometimes talk to each other and she sometimes is nice to other men yeah um and the like final straw is that she comes home from seeing her friends one day and Joey and Jake are in the sitting room. They're trying to get their TV to work because it's 1950 and they've just got a television. Yeah. And that uh, looks like something. Yeah. Good scene. And, uh, <laughs> and Jake's wife, Vicky, walks in. She is played by Kathy Moriarty, who this was also her first thing, right? Yes. Yeah. She, uh, and she was literally, it was, I think this is literally one of those, like, she, you know, she she wanted to be an actor, but she was working reception at the casting right, company yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, and like, oh, what a what a performance! Mm. And what a like the thing that always strikes me looking at her is how uh, like perfect for black and white she oh, is. Absolutely, like, she looks she, she she looks like someone who should have been in movies in in in, in the forties. And I mean, part of that is how they style well, her. Yeah. Um. But but like there, there there are there are there are tons of there are tons of actors where like if you try and shoot like a period set movie with them they just don't work yeah yeah you fully you fully buy her as a woman from the forties and in one case he saw them talking and what they were actually talking about was her being like I'm gonna fucking leave Jake he he's a he's a dick and then uh, 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 Joe Pesci being like it's this other guy right. It's this other guy, right? I'm going to go fuck him up. And then he fights the other guy. And Jake saw it and was like, oh, I saw you guys talking. And then I saw you. And then I heard you beat him up. Mm. That must mean you're both fucking my wife. (laughs) But within the scene and within the film, that question is never answered. Like Mm. it is a film that is elliptical enough with time that you could absolutely buy the sudden reveal that that Pesci and Moriarty have been boning behind the scenes for a decade. Yeah, and, and then there's like he like he confronts his wife. She runs away. He busts down a door because he's a man. He's cool, and you know that's what you do. You mm. bust down doors when your wife's cowering in fear from you. Oh, 
and she eventually breaks down and is like, yeah, you fucking got me. I fucked him. I fucked every fucking one, you know? Um, and I have seen people read that as a sincere confession <laughs> and, and which I think is ridiculous. Yeah. But it also is so clearly placing that in your hands as an audience member. And I think it is very clear that, that, that she is lying. And also like, if she's telling the truth, it doesn't fucking matter. But what that to me shows is that people look at this film and this is a, a brutal film about horrific acts that leaves so much of its meaning. It is a film about blunt people, uh, uh, but is never blunt thematically yeah. or in terms of plot, um, which I think is like a really fucking precise thing. Like like the the violence, like the boxing scenes are, incredible like we don't need to be another fucking podcast talking about how good these scenes are but each each is different um and and each is equally horrible and but also each is equally precise like they are these moments of just incredible destructive violence people Mm. being turned into meat paste um but like with a with there's like the eye to them, how he knows exactly each moment. Say, it took them 10 weeks to shoot all the fights. Right. And like, you can see that. And I think that's the film writ large. It is like fine points about blunt men. I think my favorite part of the movie is uh, after he's met Vicky and they've started going out, he wins that major fight. Then there's that montage that gaps like three or four years in their lives. Yeah. Where it intercuts grainy, like eight millimeter color footage of Jake and Joey and Vicky and their lives together and them getting older and then Jake and Vicky get married and Joey meets his wife and yeah, all these fantastic home movie snippets. It intercuts those with black and white stills of Jake's fights over those years. I think it's hard to entirely like say why I like that, but, uh, it, I think it just really, really works. Yeah. Like all the previous fights and all the later fights are so visceral and like in your face. And then for all of these ones, you only see them in like one, one or two stills and they're like more from a distance. Yeah. They, and they, they, possibly they, real stills of the real fights? No, no, no. I think, I think it's De Niro in all oh, of them. Yeah. But they, oh, no. It's later when his final fight against Sugar Ray, when you see footage on the TV, that's okay. real footage. It feels like they're combining two different types of archive footage. It feels like they found Jake LaMotta's home movies and colorized them, and it feels like they got like photojournalism stills yeah. from a time. And they're just like weaving them together. And I think it is one of the best things that Thelma Schoonmark has ever done. Yeah, and she's done a, a, <laughs> a lot of good shit. Yeah. Well, and it's just like it self-evidently works. Yeah. And this feels like one of those kind of big monolithic films where it is like, of course, it it works because it's, it's Raging Bull. Yeah, like, of this, course. This, this is one of those, like, every person involved at the height of their powers sort of thing. Well, and also, like, this film is an insane pitch. Like Scorsese has has just lost a chunk of money. Mm. Uh, De Niro is is past his first peak. Yeah, not and we don't know he will have many many more peaks to come. The internship, anybody? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then the most prominent supporting actors are two people who have never been in a movie before. And it's it's nineteen eighty. Yeah, it is a black and white film. The two films uh, Scorsese used as examples of black and white films that had done well to convince people were 
eight and nine years old. I cannot mm. remember the specific titles off my head. So mm. like it, it is a black and white film that is rigorously period. And it's a boxing film coming out in a year, you know, in a post Rocky landscape. Yeah, this, is, this is like four years after Rocky. And so there were like the, the, the anecdote I've seen is that this is one of like one of eight major boxing films that came out that year. I can't, right, yeah, I yeah. can't verify that except there is very little boxing in it. Mm. What boxing you see is uh, horrible. It seems designed to make you hate boxing. And yeah, well, the whole film, like, yeah. the whole film is about like that first fight, which is basically a, a, a riot between two men that grows and grows until it is just madness and violence. Uh, and you turned and said to me, well, I think Martin Scorsese thinks boxing is an unalloyed good. <laughs> And it and it just shouldn't like it shouldn't work, except it just empirically does. Mm. We shouldn't break down the plot. We should talk about the characters. Jake Lamotta uh, is an angry man who is an angry boxer who likes to seduce teens, uh, think, th- marry them, think they're cheating on him, uh, and then uh, when he. Uh, uh, his jealousy and his rage and his violence drives him away or or yeah. he just discards them when he finds a new one well and and even when he attempts to save things he ruins them mm. like there, there's a time skip in you after he loses to to sugar ray um uh, that he now runs jake lamotta's which is a like a bar where he sings terrible songs and tells terrible stories yeah, and, and breeds and reads like boxing poetry that he's written and, and while uh tra- essentially a trafficking young women and, and when he is caught by this he's like if i if i have 10 th- like a connection says for 10k he can get out of it mm. and so what he does is he gets his championship belt and instead of selling it he tears the ju- the jewels off it which are not worth 10k no ruining both the belt the jewels his championship and his chances of getting out yeah. of of prison and then we finally meet him as this this faded star talking to half full rooms being pathetic but his greatest regret and, is, and his his act now is he does 10 minutes of shitty stand up and then introduces like a striptease act and his greatest regret at this point is because yeah it just uh, his brother is his manager they came up boxing together but his brother chose to manage him instead and, and he uh essentially his brother also a monster hmm. but you know just but he's a joe pishy monster so he so he's a coward rather than a bully yeah but he eventually totally alienates hmm. his brother you know by going by into his house when he's eating with his family, <laughs> yelling, you want to fuck my wife, you want to, you fuck my wife, you fuck my wife. And, and that's his greatest regret that he's lost his, his brother. Mm. Um, not all the people he hurt. Um, yeah. Joe Pesci is, is, is Joe LaMotta, the, mm. the man. It is insane to me that this is his first big film. He'd done, yeah. he'd done some things, but like he was managing a restaurant. Um, and he, when it's just so like, you're like, oh, it's Joe Pesci. Yeah. You know, in one of five Joe Pesci performances. Yeah. He, 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 he feels so fully formed. Like, like him, him, him and, him and Scorsese, um, Scorsese is such an actor's filmmaker. And they're like, like every time you see a Scorsese movie and there is an actor giving you a performance, you're like, oh yeah, these two were made for each other. 
Of course, Leonardo DiCaprio is incredible in this. He was made to work with Scorsese. Oh, of course, of course, Keitel's incredible in this. He was made to work with Scorsese. Of course, De Niro. Of course, Pesci. He knows how to find exactly the right people and use them in a way that it seems like, oh yeah, why would they ever do anything else? Yeah. Is Pesci only in four Scorsese movies? He's in, he's in this, Goodfellas Casino, and uh, in The Irishman. Oh, and Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Right, yeah, yeah. 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 In every single one of his Scorsese movies, you're just like, yeah, fucking, fucking, fucking Pesci. And like, he, he, he plays shades of Pesci, obviously. Mm. And this, this portrayal of Joey LaMotta is this like, like the least shit of two shit men. <laughs> this, this, this repugnant, but at times very juicily moral man mm. is so compelling. Yeah. And there's the sense that when you meet him older later on and he has a moustache, you're like, hey, good one. Yeah. Time skip moustache. That he's just this man who's maybe found some peace and some grace in his life. Yeah, he 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 is someone who spends the first, like, 30 years of his life just just being, like, sucked into his brother's orbit. Yeah. And he, he just loves his fucking brother and he, he he wants to he wants to do everything he can to help him, but Jake is is such a jealous, paranoid, violent maniac that you cannot have a functioning relationship with this man. No. And when Jake finally crosses the line, and Joey is like, "No, I've got to have some, I've got to have some respect for myself and my family." Yeah, and he he leaves him. It feels like okay, he he can like start to be his own person now, away from away from his brother's influence. Yeah, Kathy Mariachi is as mm. a Vicky Lamata is, yeah, like. She could so easily be a plot token in this film. That mm. uh, the this 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 woman who exists to be to make a man jealous yeah. to the point of of madness, especially looking as like aggressively glamorous mm. as she does throughout. Yeah, like that, or the like the the like the the, the, the like battered wife who won't leave. Or yeah, or yeah. or uh, Lady Macbeth. Yeah. Um. And she instead is just this like woman who is just trying her hardest to get through shit. And then like the scene where she divorces him is like she half opens a car window and is like, Jake, we're leaving. I'm taking the kids. You'll never see us again. Yeah. And it just this interesting thing of, of watching this woman be just slowly ground down and it be like, like the constant sense of her being a victim, but like she's still trying her hardest, you know, like yeah. she's, she's not a damsel captured by the villain lead. Yeah. She's a moon horrifically pulled into his orbit. Yeah. She, she cannot she, escape. She is a character who like never like loses that kind of like dignified streak for, for, for no. the whole movie. Even in the scene where they're like outside and, and she's shouting at like, yeah, I fucked all of them. I like, I sucked your brother's dick. Like, yeah. And like, even though it's like a very intense thing to be like screaming in public, there's this like intense dignity to the way she performs it. Well, it is, it is such a good performance. Well, and you you want her to escape and mm. do better, yeah. Not because she's a poor caged bird who you want to free, but because she's a she's a smart, equipped woman who, because of the time mm. and the situation, is trapped. And you want to be like, no, I just like the only reason she can't escape that jail cell is that you know the walls are steel. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, and, and yeah, I think. I think that's really strong. Mm. Uh, and then there's, like, they're, they're the three leads. Yeah. Um, there, there's a bunch of mafia guys, of course. One of them played by Frank Vincent, 
who in this film begins his uh, decades-long feud with Joe Pesci. <laughs> <laughs> The character played by Frank Vincent, who's most famous for, for playing the character of Billy Bats in Goodfellas. Yeah. The guy that Joe Pesci, uh, like, stabs to death. Yeah. And uh, this, he, he is, like, another guy from the neighborhood who, like, now he's in the mafia. He's a friend of Vicky's, maybe, like, a former boyfriend. Mm. And over the first ten or so years of the movie, Jake and Joey have this, like, intense jealousy surrounding him and his relationship with Vicky. And that leads to the scene that you mentioned earlier, where Joey just fucking beats the shit out of him yeah he he smashes a glass bottle into his head and then their fight gets taken out onto the street and you just see joe pesci slamming frank vincent's head in a car door for a very long time yeah it's not fun yeah and then he does that to him this one he uh, stabs him to death in goodfellas (laughs) and then in uh, uh and then in casino finally Frank Frank gets his comeuppance and he gets to beat Joe Pesci to death with a baseball bat. And, uh, you know, Seems it's just, yeah, I've seen all of those movies for, for the first time in like the last year or so. It's nice to see it all come full circle. <laughs> it's a real, uh, three mothers trilogy in yeah. that way. Finn. Yes. Raging Bull. Yes. Is it shite or sound? I'd say it's sound. Yeah, it's not my favorite Scorsese, but it's like top four, top five. He he's been making good movies for almost fifty years. <laughs> this is another good movie from him. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it is. It's it's fantastic. I, I I think this might be his best looking movie. This, this, yeah, yeah, I don't think there's much competition. Yeah, from like the opening seconds <laughs> of Jake in the ring, shadowboxing in slow motion. Yeah, it was like why don't all movies look like this? Because it takes a lot of time. And yeah. Effort. Um, oh, I, I, yeah, I, I think it is Scorsese's best. Maybe I haven't really thought about that. Um, but also, yeah, it's sound. Hmm. I think it is also possibly immoral. Yeah, uh, as we discussed uh, at the beginning. Uh, and luckily, we're the the only two people who have any questions about yeah. it. Any kind of if, if the only people who have any opinions about it. Well, yeah. I don't. The thing about Raging Bull uh, is that no one talks about it. So uh, uh, th- th- this is this is a half star review of Raging Bull by Letterboxd user Nathan. Yet another mind-numbingly boring Scorsese film about a shady asshole who abuses and cheats on his wife. Character flaws matter, but but I wish at least one character had a redeemable quality. This film made me hate life. Uh, that's a problem with your life more than the film, bud. Yeah. But uh, this guy, how bad is his life? Like, what are his top four favorite films? Oh, there's no way you could know that. Well, hey, Yuva. Oh, what, 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 what is it, Finn? I'm, Finn, I'm, Finn I'm, what I'm, is it? I'm currently looking at a list of his top four favorite films. Jesus H. Christ. Will technology know no <laughs> bounds? Number one, it's a remake. It's about being cold and hanging out with the boys. The thing? Yes. Yay! Number two is my friend Ruby's least favorite film of all time. Moonrise Kingdom. Yes. Uh, no- that is just because you have told me. Yeah. Not because I was like, ah, Ruby Esther, what is her least favorite? Dude, from what I know about her. Number three is a movie where a guy thinks he's being attacked by a bats. Batman Begins. No. Is it, is it a bat-baited man? No. And thinks he's being... It's obvious, right? Well, no. Ugh. The main character wears a bucket hat and does a lot of drugs. Dazed? How has that made me more confused? <laughs> what decade? It's from the late 90s. 
Uh, yeah, bucket hat. I could have. Uh, that was a wasted question. Yeah. Um, it's uh, Guy Montgomery, Afraid of Bats, the movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You got it? Yeah. What? What is it? Re- Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> no. It is. The Rum Diary. Yeah. <laughs> Fear and Loathing in Las yes. Vegas. Your fourth favorite movie. It's a New Zealand film. If it was released in France, it would probably be called uh, Le Petit Moor. A New Zealand film? Yeah. The Piano? No. What? Le Petit Moor. Yeah. So, Tiny Death. Yeah. Small Deaths. Yeah. Mm. What do French people use that term to mean? O- orgasm? Mm. Come, jizz. Yeah. Well, deathgasm. Yes, deathgasm. Oh, right, right. Uh, okay, okay. Deathgasm starring Kimberly Crossman. <laughs> Okay, so, Finn, let's do Shy and Sound speed round. Rocky, Sound. Sound, yeah. Rocky 2. Haven't seen it. Haven't seen it. Rocky 3. Haven't seen it. Haven't seen it. Rocky 4. Haven't seen it. Haven't seen it. Rocky 5. Let's talk about it. Um, (laughs) Just a quick way to establish that we were in the, like, we were like, we're in a bad position to see Rocky Five. That might make it entertaining. I don't feel like I miss so much. I think the film did actually quite a good job of catching us up. Yeah. Admittedly, it does essentially start with like previously on. on yeah. Previously on Rocky, but it'd be more like previously. The flash frame, black and white slow mo recreation of him fighting uh, the muscles from Bustles. No, 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 that's, that's, that's John Van Damme. Yeah, um, the the Adolf from Randolph. <laughs> where's where's the, is 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 Dolph Lundgren Austrian? Dolph Lundgren, Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> the famous uh, uh, it's a Dolph Lundgren theme song. Dolph Lundgren, sung by a, a child at the bottom of a well. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> that's like an old, you know, um, folk tune, <laughs> uh, and it and it's one of those things where it's like, oh no, that that was actually around before Dolph Lundgren existed. Uh, the the uh, so rock, 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 Rocky Five opens with wait no Dolph yeah. Lundgren music. no it, yeah. yeah we start with with yeah you go you yeah go. Rocky Five opens with basically replaying the climactic boxing scene of. Of Rocky Four, we assume where Rocky is fighting Captain Ivan Drago, played by Dolph Lundgren, who uh, looks incredible. <laughs> he Fuck, does, he <laughs> Dolph Lundgren is looking very good. I might need to watch Rocky Four. He looks like uh, a PlayStation Three <laughs> character that everyone has a sexual sexual awakening <laughs> to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it it, it shows it, it shows. Uh, it shows like images and flashes of of, of this yeah. fight, uh, which which Rocky ends up uh, winning, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and he which brings peace to yeah to the we, cold we, yeah war. which ends the Cold War, <laughs> and uh, the film opens like directly after this fight has yeah. has finished, and Rocky is in the showers after the fight, and he is just uh, naked and standing up, standing with his hands up against a wall, posed yeah. very cinematically, yeah, and because uh, it's a Movie, and uh, <laughs> you missed him taking off his glasses. Yeah, to save the word movie. <laughs> like just in the worst episode of CSI Miami. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are worse episodes of CSI Miami than that. Uh, well, I, I, uh, I wouldn't know. 
I, I, I just uh, personally avoid the work of David Caruso. Which is why I've never seen uh, se- Session 7, that one's called. The horror movie where he's like, where he's uh, getting asbestos out of a building. Yeah. Session 9? Can't remember. You, you know, you're not a big fan of a... Uh, you're not a big fan of abatement-based horror movies? <laughs> uh, now that you say it, I'm not. No, no I've weird. never really... I've weird, never weird re- but that's not a genre you've dug particularly deep into. <laughs> or, I would say, <laughs> at all. You'd think it's like a prominent New Zealand cineast. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that is uh, my new Twitter bio. <laughs> No one, uh, no one to talk to me. Cineast. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, it's a bit of it's a bit of an cinephile. No, uh, other way around. Mm. So he's having these flashbacks, and then, but then, also everything's a bit fuzzy. Yeah, we cannot. I, well, you know, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. So, so sorry, I w- that was directed to myself yeah. rather than you. So, so he 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 starts like freaking out and crying because. He just got punched in the head a lot, and that does real bad things to you. <laughs> and, and at the end of a history, I understand of being yeah, like and, this is a guy where like the point of the first film it isn't that he wins; it's simply for him to survive. Yeah, it, it's, it's that he like loses heroically. Yeah, and and then I mean, I mean, this movie yeah opens with him like beginning to deal with the after effects <laughs> of of uh, of massive brain trauma. <laughs> I do kind of like that Sylvester Stallone, this like archetype of of American masculinity, has two different incredibly popular like series of action movies, which are which I would start off as or become him dealing with with the trauma of having to do violence. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, like if you can't spike kids three D, yeah, sure, yeah, but he's the like toy maker or whatever. What's he fucking yeah. called? Him the t- yeah, no, he's he's like the like games maker. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, it's like a three. What a, what a good movie. <laughs> no, no, Finn, no, stop saying so obvious things that need correction. We're running long. Uh, look, I think I think I think Ricardo Montalban is very charming in fact. Yeah, what's he done recently though? He calls out for his wife, Adrian, or Adrian, Adrian, Adrian. <laughs> As she is also known, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she, she, why is that so funny? To me? And, and the idea that it's like on her on her driver's license, <laughs> first name Adrian, nickname Adrian, <laughs> like in italics, I guess. Yeah, he calls her into the like changing room with him, and. Then they just sit down together and he starts talking about how it feels like he's broken and will never be able to fully recover. <laughs> it's such a wild way yeah. to start a film. Yeah, and... and <laughs> a, a rocky, you know? Yeah, yeah I, I was I was uh, not surprised for uh, how uh, for like how unheroic most of his film is. <laughs> I don't... I, I... Like, this... this yeah, like... The, the, this 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 film is like the the like the like lowest rated of all the Rocky movies. Yeah, this is it's, the it's one. It's one that Stallone has like disowned essentially. Yeah, he says he gives it a zero out of ten. Yeah, uh, which I uh, don't understand. I, like, I feel like maybe like the, the way I can understand that is if 
Rockies two through four are the best films ever made. Yeah, that Citizen Kane times, you know, Night of the Hunter. Yeah, times yeah, yeah. each of them. Like I can, but it, because this film is this this film is certainly not great, but it is it is also like. For the most part, not bad. Yeah, it, it, it we is, had a good time. Yeah, it's it's like it's a pretty competent. There are some very good performances in it. There are some not so good performances in it. <laughs> There's a whole subplot that's about how Rocky's son needs to learn to beat up other kids. Yeah, <laughs> where you're like, dude. Sorry, he someone steals his girlfriend's jacket, and he's like, no, no, it's his jacket. Oh, his jacket. He's like, give me the jacket. Jacket, and he's like, you want it? And so he beats up his kid, and then he goes to tell Rocky. And I was so ready for it for Rocky to be like, you beat that kid up? No, you only do it in the ring. Yeah. He was like, oh, no, good work, son. Go, go tell your mum. She loves stories like that. <laughs> so, but yeah, so so Adrian uh, is like, so you're going to finally retire? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, they announce he's retiring. And yeah, then this- yeah they, 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 they fly back to America. There's a press conference with a big banner saying, welcome, champ. Yeah. And which, which I think is a fun juxtaposition where he's just had this very emotional scene about how, <laughs> about how fighting has ruined him. And, and he, and he, he is afraid, like, and, and he is afraid that he won't be able to live a full life now. And, and then he, and he goes to this press conference where everyone's like, Hey, it's Rocky. We love you. You punched up those bloody rooskies. And he's like, no, 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 pretty nice over there. Pretty, pretty good to me. I don't know, I don't know what I'm saying, but guys. He is. We did joke during this for, this is the, mo- and like part of it is that he is playing someone with a major brain malfunction. Yes. But also, this is like peak mumbling Stallone. Yeah. And like so many of the subtitles for this film must at least in part include brackets. <laughs> Indecipherable. Yeah. Bracket. Even considering that, even though you can't tell what he's saying a lot of the time, and this is the fifth Rocky movie, I still think Stallone is good in this. Like, yeah. he, like he's just someone who is inherently watchable and there is so much integrity to his performance well and and it is nice seeing him play acts which are like i just want people to stay out of trouble yeah i just want to love my son yeah and, and i want to be with my wife and everyone's so great yeah and it is like people betraying him or him making slight mistakes then immediately like apologizing when he can you know yeah the thing about rocky which people always give Stallone shit for, like, not having a particularly wide range or anything. Yeah, but... Which is, I think, largely true. But, but, but like, it doesn't, his, like... Yeah, but, but, like, his, his two big things, like Rocky and Rambo, are such different characters. And Rambo is someone who is, like, as soon as we meet him, he is someone who has been destroyed by the world. Yeah. And, and, and Rocky is someone who steadfastly refuses to let the bad things in life destroy him. He, he is this big lumbering puppy dog of a man who kind of just wants the best for everyone and, and like understands that he has this inherent capability for violence but doesn't want to use it because violence sucks. Well, and his star persona that he, you know, mm. the, the star persona he plays in Expendables or mm. like... Yeah. Cobra or whatever. Or Tango and Cash. Tango and Cash. Cash, cash and, and Tango. tango. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, everyone. Hey, get ready for us to cover Tango and Cash on an episode you do not expect. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh so much. It's just good, good podcast content. Con Con. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
and like that star's persona is distinctly different from Rocky Balboa and, mm. and Jonathan Rambo. Yeah. The thing I just kept watching through this is like, he's just like, he's just a movie star yeah. in a way that like, he, there's something compelling about him. And, and I, I, I was quite touched by his arc through this film. And I think his arc through this film benefits from the fact that while Stallone was writing it, like all the other Rockies, not counting the creeds, he he wrote it. Uh, uh, he directed the middle three, yeah, and they got the director of the first one back for this one. Um, yeah, who had spent the meantime like doing the first three Karate Kid movies. Yes, when he was writing this film, it was the final Rocky film, hmm. and it ended with his death. Uh, uh, it ends with a street brawl as opposed to a big fight in a ring, as yeah. all the others do, and it was supposed to. He was supposed to be killed, uh, and. I think the film benef I think the script benefits from having been written with the assumed ending that he dies. Mm. And I also think the film benefits from the fact that they changed that. Yeah. Because the this is like the 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 whole point of his death in that scene would be it would be kind of senseless violence and violence out, you know? Mm. And like I'm sure the whole film would have had a very different tone. But there is the sense of a man coming, you know, to a lull in life. They lose all their money, so they got to move back to back to streets of Philly, and I'm sure there are lots of shots. Yeah, that... well, yeah, they move back into the same house in the same neighborhood that he that he lived in in the first movie. Yeah, there are so many scenes where, of him like walking down the streets of Philadelphia, where he's walking through like the exact same streets, past the same, but past the same stores, or past the same like storefronts, where it's now a different store. Yeah, and yeah, there is like a ten minute section of this movie which is just like Rocky trying to like grapple with the ways that inner city Philadelphia has changed in the last twenty years. Yeah, which is another thing. Like, yeah, d- did not expect that to be in the movie. I think something that makes Stallone interesting. Stallone gives a shit about Rocky. Stallone cares about this character, and he cares about the world of this character so much. Yeah, and there is no point where this feels like. Oh, he's just doing another Rocky because it's, it's a cash grab. Well, and that is why when someone pressed him on why he hates this film, he says he hates it because he made it out of greed. And I can understand that if you were in the position where you were like, where you look back on a film and it underperformed and you you know you did it because you would get $15 million yeah. to act in it and $10 million to write it. Um. And underperformed, you would be like, "Oh yeah, I failed." Mm. But it's like, no, I think this film fails because it is, in many ways, quite a soft, gooey, and warm film. That's yeah. largely like the major conflict in the film. It's between him and his son. On oh, no, it's they, him and his son is the B plot, but it's yeah. the one I ended up caring about. Mm. <laughs> and it and it is basically like. He just needs to pay more attention to his kid. Yeah. And he and it's not like he's not being negligent. He just got a bit busy and diverted. Mm. And then he changes and then he has a moment of peace and togetherness with his kid at the top of those steps next to the statue of himself <laughs> yeah which is like i am surprised he does not pull those statues pants off and suck it stick but anyway but yeah he, at the end of the movie there are some like there are some pretty good rocky jokes <laughs> at, at, at the end where he's like he's standing up on the steps outside the philadelphia museum of art or whatever and him and his son are about to go inside the museum and yeah i've been, I've been one of the stairs for 25 years i don't, I don't know that painting that's sad <laughs> 
And then, and then the, when we're standing next to a rocky statue, he like points up at the statue and like, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> and, and, and I really wanted him to be like, it's pretty good. You'll notice they're not framing. They've never shown us the plaque at the bottom because <laughs> it does reveal that I'm in fact a, a fiction. <laughs> there's, a, there's a man named Sly Vista Stylone from, you know, from, Escape Plan. From a, from a band Sly and the Family Stallone. <laughs> Um, I was just going to say, I always, until I was like 16, I thought that Sly and the Family Stone was Sylvester Stallone's band. <laughs> because people always call him Sly. Yeah. And I was like, like you be, there can't be two things from the 70s called Sly own. <laughs> so, so he goes back to uh, his old boxing gym. He restarts that. He has a, a flashback sequence to, to Burgess Meredith as his old trainer yeah. encouraging him. Um, and it is, oh, this was the point where I was like, I don't know how, but this film is successfully making me feel nostalgic for three films I haven't seen. Yeah. And it, because this film is as much as it is about kind of reentering the trappings of, of the first film. It is so clearly a response to the second one is about him becoming successful. Then the third and fourth are about like what he does with his success. Yeah. He fights Hulk Hogan and then the USSR Um, is is that. Yeah. I just had this. I like, I got it. Like I kind of got it. And when it was like Burgess Meredith, I was like, oh yeah, I remember. Oh, and he's gone. Because I presume he was good. Yeah, I think I think he he I think he dies in the third one because he, he he's 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 not in the fourth one. Yeah, and um. All right, so also the press conference scene introduces uh, uh, the the main antagonist of the film. He lands. He has a press conference. He announces he's retiring yeah. for good. And, and and just after he's retired, uh, this incredibly charismatic man called a uh, George uh, George Washington Duke comes in. Yeah, who is uh, played by an actor called Richard Gant, doing a. a- Doing what you would indiscreetly call a Don King impression. Uh, yeah, he's talking like a like a like a black TV preacher. No, he. Would you, do you know who Don King is the boxing promoter? No. Oh, it's this guy with silly hair. Like it's okay. so he's so clearly referenced, and I don't I don't okay. want to focus on this because it it it, w- it would work against how dope this guy's mm. performance is. Um, but yeah. He he he's a boxing promoter who's like ah come on fight come on hey yeah fight. And, yeah, and he 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 is just this like incredible showman who barges into this press conference for another person and starts hyping the audience up to like one Rocky to get back into it and this is just like a pure charisma performance this is this is a very very good stuff from this yeah, guy this is a guy who gets a lot of scenes on the phone smoking a cigar lit from only one direction <laughs> yeah. being like. There's a lot of money in it for you, and you're just like, yes. <laughs> During yeah. the final fight, well, there, 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 there's one scene where, where uh, so he 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 keeps on like uh, um, he throughout the film he throughout the film he keeps on trying to get Rocky to to come back to fighting. He's like, yeah. you know, I've, I've well, we'll be, we'll be, like you know, if you come back with me, I'll get you the biggest fight of your career, and there'll be a massive payday and whatever. It'll be great. And and every single time, Talia Shire playing Adrian, which is like. No, he's he's retired. We we do not want your money. I do not want my husband to get punched into a, into a fucking coma. Like we're done with this. And and uh, and this one time he 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 calls up their house trying to talk to Rocky and Talia Shire just like shouts at him and then hangs up on him. And it cuts back to him in in this like in this close up where it's just his face with this like red light coming in from off screen. He hangs up the phone. 
picks up a crystal goblet, takes a sip of red wine, and just says, women. (laughs) (laughs) It is, he, during the final fight, the street fight at the end of this film, there are many times it just cuts, he's he's there, cuts (laughs) back to him just bellowing and yelling (laughs) like a beast, like these two guys just punching and then just this this incredible statuesque black man being like, we're wearing like a fur coat and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. uh, but so who, who's, who's Rocky fighting in that final street fight? Okay, so let's role play. We're, we're, we are a married couple. Our surname is Gunn. We've just had a baby. Tommy. <laughs> now, now, honey, I know, I know you want to name him after your father, <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> um, but, but I think Tommy Gunn is a strange name to give a... So here's the thing. I'm naming him after my favorite train, Thomas the Tank Engine, and my and my favorite New Zealand TV show host, uh, Jason Gunn. Okay, great. Okay, done deal. How are you looking for us to raise our child? Because I poorly. Because <laughs> poorly imp- walnuts. Yeah. <laughs> I think the most important thing in raising a child is to instill in them the importance of yelling every single <laughs> line of dialogue. And then, like, so so I think the important thing is if they were to find themselves as a character in a film, they need to start at a 10 of yelling. <laughs> and, 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 then, and then just find ways to go up from there. <laughs> and, it, and it should be uh, an assault on the senses. So the other antagonist of the film is is the character Tommy Gunn, played by real life boxer uh, uh, T- Tommy Morrison, uh, and he yeah he he was a, a not not an actor, uh, which <laughs> which you you can you can you can tell, and but he doesn't like he Tommy Morrison has gone on to be not a good person, um but he is like he's not bad in this film. It's a good non professional performance. Yeah. He he is just this... yeah yeah his his main problem is just that he he starts off shouting and doesn't have anywhere to go but up. Well, and his character is just this unending well of anger. Mm. Yeah, he's the street goes like Rocky train me, and so Rocky trains him for a bit. Um, but well, the... yeah yeah. So when Rocky reopens his gym, he he's like standing out in the street and he's like, "Hey, I just came from Oklahoma. You know, I'm a I'm a young boxer. Uh, but you know, I, I want I want I want I want you to train me." And then they 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 go in, they go inside Rocky's gym, so so he can have like a sparring match with with one of the trainers, and uh, he just goes way too hard on him, and is full of rage, and just wants to beat the shit out of this this guy in a friendly sparring match. And Rocky's like, "No, you've got to leave. This is fucked up. I'm not letting you do this." And then the guy leaves, and just like waits outside the entire day. And then when when Rocky comes out, he he gives him this big speech about how like. You know, all I ever wanted was to be a boxer, and you know, I come from nothing. But but you also came from nothing, and you know, if I I always thought if you, if you train me, then I could be something. And then Rocky's like, Yeah, okay, okay I'll try and train. Yeah, well, I'll give it a go. Yeah, I'll train you. Let's go do it. Let's go some food. And they're training for a while. You know, he's teaching him how to be a better boxer, and uh, he's all, he's spending a lot of time with him. He's trying to make him part of the family, and he's uh, he's his manager as well. Yeah. But, uh, but briefly, oh, yeah. can I just read you one sentence from the Thompson Submachine Gun sure. Wikipedia page? Right. This is the beginning of the second paragraph of, as you'd expect with a gun, a very long. <laughs> <laughs> the first 
There's also like 30 nicknames. Tommy Gun, Street Sweeper, Annihilator, Chicago Typewriter, <laughs> Trench Broom, Chicago Submachine Gun, Chicago Piano, <laughs> Chicago Style, Chicago Organ Grinder, Drum Gun, The Chopper, <laughs> The Tommy Boy, or simply The Thompson. But anyway. Gotta <laughs> hear a very. Br- anyway. The Thompson was favoured by soldiers, criminals, police, the FBI, and civilians alike. <laughs> it's everyone. Every human. It's all, it's, that literally includes every class of person. <laughs> Who else? Uh, it was favoured by civilians and non-civilians. So he's training them. They're growing close. They spend a lot of time together, and because he's spending so much time tra- training Tommy, yeah, uh, he 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 doesn't spend as much time with his son, and and so his his son like kind of falls in with a bad crowd, kind he get, of. He gets an earring. He gets an earring. Uh, he uh, smokes uh, uh, about a fifth of one cigarette. Yeah, the, it's the best fraction. <laughs> Nah, the best fraction is a frog fraction, but uh, yeah, and, and yeah. So he, he his his son is growing like more and more distant from him, and he, he's yeah he's training with Tommy. Blah blah blah. He, he starts getting Tommy a bunch of a bunch of professional fights, and Tommy uh, wins all of them because he's played by an actual boxer, and so he's uh, good at boxing. Yeah, he's like, I want to go for the title. I want it to be mine, etc. Yeah. etc. Because Rocky is his icon, and Ro- and Rocky had the title, so he wants he wants the title now. And, and Rocky is like, no, you got to wait, you got to d- get your timing right, etc. Yeah. I, I think the thing that you brought up earlier of why Stallone doesn't like this movie because he he feels like he did it like because of greed. I think that's interesting because this whole movie is is about Tommy being overcome by greed, and th- th- yeah. th- this movie is about a man like being seduced and destroyed by capitalism. And the boxing promoter guy lures him away with yeah. promises a, of a shot at the title and more money. And uh, Rocky is just like, no, he's just doing it for the money. You've got to do it for the right reasons. I yeah. don't want, I'm trying to keep uh, you clean, yeah. trying to keep you away from that yeah. stuff. Yeah. And it is just like, and it, it, it is heartbreaking. Mm. And it's like, oh, he is trying to do a good thing and the world is conspiring against him. Yeah. The whole thing that Rocky is going for in this movie is like, Boxing is a bad, dangerous, and toxic industry that wants to like that wants to like suck in young talent and use them up and destroy them and 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 get rid of them. But like this guy, this guy I fucking care about, and yeah. so and so I want to make sure that doesn't happen to him. I want to keep him away from the vampires, from the people who who are just looking to use him for for their own gain. And yeah, it's about someone who has been so indoctrinated into. Into the belief that you always have to want more, you always have to be going bigger, and if you're not getting bigger, you're dead. And Rocky can't break that programming that has been drilled into this kid from birth. Yeah. And Tommy eventually decides to betray his one real friendship in pursuit of money and glory. Yeah. And and that and it kind of dovetails. Sorry, a, th- a slightly unrelated thought, but then we'll just discuss the. Film. A thing I like about this film is that it, as much as it about someone who was super rich, he had a robot in a previous film. Well, uh, Paulie had the robot. Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry. Uh, 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 which, which I think might be like part of the thing about about like about Paulie being like bad with money and stuff because Paulie's uh, yeah. the reason why they why they lose their money in this one. Uh, and so he is forced back to basics. He's, yeah, he's poor again, but there is. 
almost no sense. There's no dwelling on like, I've fallen. This is a terrible yeah. place to be. Yeah. This film's approach to money is like, money is nice. Yeah. Like it, it, it is, it's helpful, but yeah. it should not be the thing that defines how you, how you relate to the world. And life is still worth living without it. And there is a scene where he's up in the attic of his old house and he's he's like looking through a box of his old stuff, and he he he, fi- he finds the hat that he wore in the first one. He puts it on. He fi- he finds Talia Shire's old glasses, and they're both wearing these like vestiges of of when they were when they were young and poor. It still brings him like a lot of joy to have these things. Um, there's a scene at Christmas mm. where Paulie's Santa and 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 his kids are there, mm. and his kids being like, "I'm not going to call this guy Santa." He's just but Uncle Polly. Hey, Uncle Polly. And then Rocky takes him and just like, no, no, no. It's what's important is it's, that it's that fun. It's and a, we're together. It's a, it's a fun game we play, and that that we all hang out, and it's yeah. nice. And he's like, oh well, you're the one playing a game or whatever, <laughs> yeah. and, it, and he leaves. And like, okay, fine. But like, it is the 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 moral statement, the two major moral statement scenes of the film are a Rocky chasing someone in a rich car, being like, give this car back. You have to just do this for the right reasons. Yeah. Don't do it because someone will use you. And another guy going like, come on, just hang out with your family. Let's just all be together. Yeah. It's like, well, well, all right. <laughs> uh, and so uh, Tommy Gunn. Uh, yeah, I think for like someone who is a fairly conservative person, this movie doesn't feel like there's some like family values kind of stuff, but it never feels reactionary. Well, I th- I think the thing Stallone has going for him as a conservative um, uh, is that he, like Rocky, is someone who genuinely came yeah. from nothing. So there is no sense, uh, uh, like, he understands how inescapable at times poverty yeah. can be. He totally understands why Tommy Gunn would choose the money over yeah. Rocky. He thinks that's the wrong decision, but he gets why people make choices like that and why those choices are so harmful. Tommy Gunn uh, takes on the title fight, wins the title from mm. from the other guy, but is like, ah, oh, it means nothing. I got to beat Rocky. Yeah, and so at, at the press conference afterwards, every single reporter <laughs> is just like, no, this fight was shit. Your shit. You'll never be as good as Rocky. The guy you fought was a patsy. He's also represented by the, the main bad guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and 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 also, and also he was fighting one half of Abfab. <laughs> Uh, and so eventually they're, they're like, let's show up at, at Rocky's local bar to yeah. challenge him to a fight. And uh, basically it's uh, Rocky and him have a, have a street brawl uh, well, yes. for like yeah, so, so it, five to 20 minutes. Yeah, like, yeah. So Tommy and Duke, they show up at the bar and, and Duke is like, you've got to get him to fight you. You have to get him to agree to fight you or no one will ever take you seriously. You've got to insult him. If he doesn't want to fight you. You just keep getting meaner until he fights you. And, uh, and, and, and so he, he, he calls Rocky outside and he's like, I'm challenging you to a fight. And Rocky's like, no, I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, like, I'm, I'm retired. I don't want to fight you. Yeah. There, there's no reason for this to happen. And, and, and then Tommy just gets more and more angry. And eventually he, he, he punches Paulie. Yeah. When, 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 when Paulie tries to be like... You you got no fucking class, kid. Yeah, it's great. It's just Paulie being Paulie. Yeah, a character who I've engaged with <laughs> twice in in twenty years of my life. But I'm like, oh, Paulie. Yeah, and he punches Paulie, and you're like, you don't punch Paulie. <laughs> uh, and, and and so and yeah. Then, as soon as Paulie gets knocked down, Sloane's like, you say you say you want to fight me? <laughs> you want to fight? And 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 George Washington Duke is like, like yes, he'll he'll fight you in the ring. 
And because Stallone knows, like, Duke's plan this whole time was to steal Tommy away from him and get Tommy to win the championship so that he could, so that he could then, like, get Rocky, so that he could then, like, get Rocky back. His target the whole time has been, has been to get Rocky to fight. Yeah. He's not going to give Duke the satisfaction of being able to make money off of his labor. And so he's like, hey, you, you want to fight me in the ring? No, no, no ring's outside. And they go outside <laughs> and they, yeah, they have the street fight. Which, yeah, takes forever. <laughs> yeah, but like it's 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 a it's a it's a pre, it's a pretty fun street fight. But yeah, I've no I've no conception of how long it took. Like all good street fights, it goes through stages. They're in yeah. the alley, then they're out on the street. Yeah. Um. They, they, do they like burst through a wall at some point? <laughs> oh, like <laughs> almost so. certainly. Yeah. You know. Um. It, it is. Right, yeah. No. It's it, it, it's one of those scenes where it feels like. It, like the the this sort of like range of their fights just increase until they're just like knocking over major Philadelphia landmarks. They're just yeah. like they're just like they're just like punching the Liberty Bell back and forth at each other. Yeah, it would only be like increasing the insanity of this fight five percent for one of them to like pick up a fire hydrant. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, and sadly they don't. Uh, Rocky ultimately wins. And, and, and the uh, again throughout George Washington Duke just yeah <laughs> uh, uh, and, and kind of yeah regretfully he humiliates uh, a Tommy Gun but then he he goes up to George Washington Duke George Washington Duke says you punch me and I'll sue well he says yeah he says touch me and I'll sue <laughs> which he which he said a couple times earlier I mean Rocky like gives his defeated look and he turns around and he's gonna walk away and he turns back and he, and he picks him up and just like slams him over into the hood of a car it's <laughs> It's it is, great. It is one degree away from punching him, and he explodes like yeah. he's in a cartoon. It is uh, R- 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 Richard Gant's delivery of "Touch Me and I'll Sue" <laughs> is so perfect. It's just he, he is he is so fucking dialed into this character. Like it, it's it's a, it's a cartoony performance, but he he knows exactly how to play it. It is it's it's so it's so much fun. And then, you know, he, he has a moment with his son in which is largely fine. They make one, you know, gay panic joke there and that's ugly. And then, of oh, course, the, the, the earring thing. Oh, like, but, and then the end credits roll over freeze frames from throughout the films. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it is. You get to see how much uh, the shape of Stallone's head has changed since 1976. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Man, that man has been either through some punishment <laughs> or has just absolutely the worst plastic surgeon of all time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's Rocky five. I mean, as I said at the beginning, not, not, not a great movie, but I think this is like marginally sound. I think, I, I, th- I, I, I think it is on like, yes, like, it there, is. There, 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 are, there are some performances that don't work. There are some very goofy moments. There's maybe like one too many montages. Some of the music choices, are. Oh. Uh, like not great, but but like yeah, I, I think this is like I, I think Stallone is like undeniable in this movie, and I, th- I think Richard Gant is uh, fantastic. And uh, the 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 boxing scenes are like not not stellar, but they're but they're they're like they're they're good. Yeah, yeah. The the, the final street fight is a lot of fun, and I think this movie has it has like has its heart in the right place about about the horrors of American capitalism. Um, uh, even if only accidentally, you know, um, it is, yeah, it is the close, 
it, it is sound mm. like it is sound because after seeing this film i was like i'm gonna watch every other rocky film mm. oh i i have also seen creed but not creed two yeah yeah same um and i was like i'll, I'll do it i'll do rocky from the beginning through through to creed two but the really important so it has to be sound mm. that inspired their action in me but it's also key is when i do that i'm not going to watch rocky five again you know i'm going to do one two three four balboa creed creed two yeah. and well, maybe creed three will be out by then well you say that now but when you get up to four you might be like rocky five you son of a gun i <laughs> Okay, maybe. <laughs> Do you want to hear uh, uh, someone else's opinion who who watched uh, the first five films in a compressed time? Yeah, sure. Well, Carol from Letterboxd mm-hmm. uh, gave the film a five star review with this. Throughout it, they refer to to Rocky as just being five films, even though they watched this film less than a week ago. <laughs> uh, so, <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> since I've made it to the fifth movie. It's time for me to give a very long rant about this franchise that no one will read. On the contrary, Carol, that's why I'm posting it. I very honestly couldn't care less about what anyone has to point out about the Rocky franchise. I watched all these five movies in the span of two days because of how much I love them. They all differ at one point or aspect, but, bold and capitalised, the Rocky essence never left. And for that, I applaud Slyvester Stylone. That, that's my uh, pronunciation. Yeah, that, that, that's very important to know that that is editorializing. <laughs> In his consistently perfect performance as Rocky Balboa. Balboa has become such an important character to me. I can't even begin putting it into words. There are several following paragraphs. <laughs> what my interpretation of the character means has no words. Again, there are several following paragraphs. I see comfort in him. An idea of hope, even when you are at your lowest point you've ever been in your life. Now, I am completely aware that these are bold movies. <laughs> They're made to, in quotes, manipulate you like this. But I'd rather see that than a simple franchise about a successful boxer who's always winning at life. This experience that the Rocky movies have brought me has filled me with joy, has made me hold my breath for 15 minutes straight, has made me bawl my eyes out has made me hold on tight to my seat and just hope the character would make it. And I honestly haven't felt so attached to a character like this in a very long time. All of this is just to say, from the moment I watched the first movie, I knew I wasn't expecting a perfect movie. But the feeling, the emotion, the experience of these movies, that was perfect. I expect people's opinions who may disagree with mine, but this franchise really was something else, and I'm really glad they were made. I truly believe Rocky Balboa will stick with me for the rest of my life. That's like, that is... That's nice. And it's just like, that's... When movies do great, that's how they are. Yeah. So they're top four films. I think this is a good top four. Right. Uh, one is... Uh, he's crazy. But damn, if he's not a patriot, right. it's not the patriot. Just so, just so we're clear. The crazy heart? <laughs> no, no. He loves sweating while looking at small rectangles of card. Oh, uh, it's American Psycho. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, another film about a man and blades. Blade. No. Blade 2? No. Blade he, Trinity. The, the blades are closer to him. <laughs> uh, 
he has at least 20 blades attached to his body. Uh, okay. Um, right. No, I thought. It's like, is it Machete? <laughs> no, no, no. Is it a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie? No. If, like, this is obvious, right? I feel like, he, yes. Yeah. Uh, Who has blades attached to their body? Machete. <laughs> Machete. Um, those are the only two. Did I have another clue? Uh, okay. Uh, you gave this film four stars, and Vincent Price is in it. Oh, okay. Vincent Price is in it. Uh, is, 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 it a, is it a Poe adaptation? No. No? I okay. call him Ted. Call him what? I call him Ted. Okay, I, 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 I don't know. Well, Ted. He's a teddy bear, yeah. No, I call him. Voice, voiced by, voiced by, uh, voiced by Stephen Fowler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's so Ted. Theodore. Edward. Oh, okay, it was Edward Scissorhands, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. You're right, that is a guy full of knives on his body. <laughs> yeah, Trenty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. You're right, it is, it was obvious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought that would just get through that one quickly. I thought a, a man in blades would just be, but anyway, no. um, one is a non-animated film about a rabbit. Uh, is it, uh, uh, is it, is it, uh, 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 is it a rabbit proof fence? <laughs> no. Uh, non-animated, uh. Uh, oh, is it Donnie Darko? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah is that going to be Donnie Darko or Harvey? <laughs> or maybe Night of the Leapers. Um, and the next one Or is, S. Darko. Uh, okay, how do you clue for the next one without just going real? It's a Linda Cardellini joint. Uh, is it uh, Scooby-Doo Monsters Unleashed? <laughs> no. Adaptation of a short story? Is, is it an adaptation of a Stephen King short story? No. Okay. Um, I can't remember that many Linda Cardellini movies. To Western. Well, they're more farmers, but. Who directed it? Ah, uh, that's that. Good, yeah, that's. Giveaway? Okay. Uh, are all the other actors giveaways? Anne Hathaway. Oh, okay. Right. To be back mountain. <laughs> Never remember that Linda Cardellini's in that movie. Yeah, no, that's why I chose it. Mm. Uh, and. So, Finn, can yes. I ask you a question? Sure. You fucked my wife? No. <laughs> Do you fuck my wife? I mean, for, 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 for like several reasons. <laughs> okay, Finn, can I ask you another question? If you Where want to. Where can people find you online? Uh, who cares? <laughs> you can find the show on Twitter at ShiteSoundPod or you can email us at ShiteSoundPod at gmail.com. Why not check out our website? It's at ShiteAndSound.com. Do but- it. <laughs> The and is an and, not an ampus. And uh, check me out on various social medias. I am uh, Youth Lives, U-T-H-R-L-I-V-E-S. Sign up for my newsletter at bit.ly slash Youth Lives. I have other podcasts. One's called The Slow Path. One is called The Witching Hours. Check them out if you like. Our theme song is The Nux. By Kazam Blam. Check them out on Bandcamp. Finn, Finn. Yes. Finn. Can I, can I ask you a question? Uh, you can. You fuck my wife. No. no. We'll be over this. <laughs> uh, what are we watching next week, Ben? Uh, next week, we are starting our two-week Hitchcock run. Next week, we are watching A Real Window. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with that, we are watching a film called Open Windows, starring Elijah Wood and Sasha Gray. I don't know if this film is good or not. It's directed by a guy who made a movie that I like. <laughs> uh, it's directed by Nacho Vigalando, who made Colossal and Time Crimes. Oh, okay. Yep. We'll talk about those in a week. 
if you like the show, why not tell your friends, like and subscribe? (laughs) Just do it. Come on. Movies are good. Even bad ones. Adrian! I've been working on the stairs for 25 years. I don't know that painting that's sad. Uh, can you say that again, but audibly? <laughs> I've been running up these stairs for 25 years, but no one ever told me if I had paintings inside. Uh, 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 now, like, backmasking like you're in the, the, the red room in Twin Peaks. So, yeah, <laughs> up these stairs for 25 years, but no one never told me that they had painted things in sight. Um, and now, like, <laughs> like you're slowly realizing that you're on fire. No, I've, I've been running up, been running up these stairs for 25 years, but no one never told me they painted sight. Okay, and now, uh, like, uh, 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 like. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what stairs painting or paintings are. <laughs> I've been, uh, I've been, r- I've been running up these stairs, stairs. I've been running up the stairs for, for, for like for like twenty twenty five years now. But uh, but no, no one ever told me they had to, they had to, but but no one ever told me they had paint 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 paintings inside there. Okay, last yeah. one. Yeah. Like he's lying. He loves paintings. <laughs> he's lying to his yeah, son. Yeah. <laughs> you know, son, I've been running up and down these stairs <laughs> coming up twenty five years now. But no one ever told me they had paintings inside that building. I'll tell you what, I've never been in there and I don't know who anyone who would. <laughs> okay, great. Got something for the end of the credit. <laughs> yeah. This is Ben, but 
You better believe it. I'm a robot now. What? How did this happen? Oh, you know, a strange series of circumstances. So, the craziest thing, I was, I was driving in my car with my girlfriend, and mm-hmm. uh, we, you know, we were just driving up the street. And then this crazy guy that's called me metal fetishist uh, ran into us and uh, our car crashed into him. And okay. now I've been infected with a metal virus and I'm turning into Tetsuo the Iron Man. It does. It seems to be a real problem for you, your near perpetual encounters with metal fetishists. Yeah. Most people in their day-to-day lives, you know, maybe they'll see a metal fetishist down the street. Maybe we'll catch a glimpse <laughs> out of the corner of their eye. Yeah, maybe yeah. we'll see one passing on the bus. For me, I'm just constantly running into them. But like you, do you mean like like you see them and you start running towards them? No, I'm usually running away from them. Oh, uh, okay. okay. And they're, they're running towards me. Oh, oh. But All luckily, right. because they've uh, sliced open their legs to put rebar <laughs> inside, uh, they can't run that fast. Yeah, that's right. Because of the pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I want to hear. Those are the God. I'm so happy you shared that. <laughs> I'm fan. Yeah, kill kill me. <laughs> Hello and welcome. <laughs> <laughs>